hello and welcome back. You're listening to another incredible episode of Inside Soccer with your host, Bill Peterson. Inside Soccer brings you the soccer fan, expert analysis and opinion on the critical issues facing the game today. Bill will also bring you guests that have incredible stories and historical perspectives on the game. With soccer experience spanning 20 years, the Rolodex is open to bring you the voices and opinions you want. Sit back and wherever you are in the world, enjoy today's episode. Hello, everybody. I want to welcome all the listeners uh, from around the world and wherever you may be today and welcome all the soccer fans. This is Inside Soccer and this is episode four already. Uh, As always, we're here to bring you the soccer fan insights and experiences from some of the best in the world. This is episode four, and you've already heard from Hall of Fame player Kobe Jones about his journey and insights into greatness, CEO Kevin Payne about key management issues, and media guru Ivis Galasarb. All those episodes can be found on your favorite podcast platform or at InsideTopSports.com. Today we take a unique turn in our search of so- in soccer land uh, to one of the fastest growing issues in the sport, the issue that may forever change sport, We're talking about sports gaming and gambling, the multi-billion dollar industry that in one sense lays at the periphery of pro soccer and in another sense is at the core of fandom, media, and the future of sport, uh, including uh, our favorite sport, soccer. Today we're honored to have gaming expert Bill Squadron with us. Bill is a special counsel at Genius Sports and also an assistant professor at Elon College in Elon, North Carolina. He has a a very unique background, which we'll touch on a little bit later. Uh, But he's put himself in the middle of this issue and is is involved uh, in in a lot of different ways with uh, understanding and explaining sports gambling and gaming uh, and that's what we've asked him to come here and do for us today is help us, the soccer fan, understand what the landscape looks like today in sports gambling and gaming and also where we think this all heads from, uh, from not only a participation standpoint but a technology standpoint and how it affects the game over the next three, five, ten years. So welcome, Bill, to Inside Soccer. Thanks, Bill. Happy to join you. I'm looking forward to talking about sports betting, which I think is going to have a dramatic impact on the sports landscape in the United States over the next five to 10 years. Yeah, we're ready to get started. I mean, gaming and and specifically betting on sports and soccer is nothing new. It's been going on for a long time, but with some changes in the laws and the technology uh, that's now uh, available to the average person, it definitely has uh, affected already the uh, gaming and gambling industry and will continue to do so at a very, very fast uh, pace. So uh, we're happy to have you here. Look, I've, as always, I've got a lot of questions in only 30 minutes, so we're going to jump right in and get rolling. Uh, for those of us who consider ourselves uninitiated, let's get one thing out of the way, if you don't mind, Bill. What's the difference between gaming and gambling? Well, I think that gaming is often used to describe a variety of activities, which include even things like video gaming. Um, but often um, it encompasses gambling. So when people sometimes use the phrase gaming, they're referring to gambling and they're trying to be a little bit less direct. But um, in fact, increasingly people are using them interchangeably because as betting, gambling becomes more and more uh, prevalent here in the United States, people are referring to gaming to include 
the um, uptick in gambling activity. But uh, in, in sort of bottom line, gaming will often encompass things that are not gambling, like video gaming. But gambling or betting, of course, uh, involves placing a wager on an event. There you go, fans. We've learned something already. Uh, okay, so look, you have a very interesting background, as I mentioned earlier. You're assistant professor. You're a special counsel. You've worked in the media for Bloomberg. You've worked for IMG. Uh, just a, a myriad of, of people who are at the core of uh, the development and, and the operation of sports. How did you find yourself in the middle of the uh, gaming and gambling issue? Well, I have a background as an attorney, so I was um, a partner at a law firm practicing law in technology and communications for many years and then went into the government where I was involved in regulation of uh, communications and cable television, came out and then got into the sort of entrepreneurial world of sports and technology, founded a company called SportVision um, and was CEO there for a number of years where we introduced a bunch of new technologies into sports. But the whole area of um, technology, data, analytics, and media and sports has always interested me. And I had the opportunity um, in 2009 to join Bloomberg to start a sports data and analytics business for uh, Bloomberg, which um, we built over the years. And at that time, it seemed to me as to uh, quite a few other people that um, the betting laws in the United States were likely over time to change. That in 1992, Congress had passed a law called PASPA, which prohibited sports betting in any state other than Nevada, really. Um, but that around the world, sports betting had taken off. Um, that in the U.S., it was growing underground. And so at Bloomberg, uh, we were involved in a lot of different um, products and services around sports data and analytics. And one of the things we developed were algorithms and models that allowed you to predict the outcomes of things like European soccer matches. Um, and we offered those kinds of services outside the United States, of course, because at the time it was still illegal here in America. But it had certainly occurred to me in running and building that business that sports betting was going to become more and more of a factor here in the United States, and of course, with the Supreme Court decision two years ago, it's now accelerating at warp speed. So gambling on soccer is a multi-multi-billion dollar uh, enterprise, and I imagine spikes on, on years uh, when the World Cup is played. And a lot of that's due to technology, and a lot of it's due to just uh, you know cultural uh, norms, and people have been betting on the game since it started. Uh, and some countries have uh, different rules than others, et cetera, on what's legal and what's not legal and in the way you actually execute uh, a bet on a, on a game. Here in the United States, it's a little bit unique. And before we get into technology, just give our listeners on Inside Soccer a sense of what's different in the United States about this issue and specifically sort of the, the, the state-by-state state, uh uh, situation that we're in and, and where you think this goes and the speed at which it goes. Yeah, we do have a different environment here. And I think the, the sort of baseline we all need to start from is that many people who love sports like to bet on sports. I mean, this is just a very basic um, principle. And it's been true, 
you know, I think probably since the beginning of people enjoying uh, watching sports. And around the world, as you say, in many countries where it's legal, uh, betting on soccer uh, has been a major activity for many years. In fact, uh, it's been estimated that on the last World Cup, over $130 billion was bet all around the world on soccer. Um, so this is not a new phenomenon. And in fact, uh, one of the reasons that um, there was a real push to have the law changed here in the United States was that even though Congress had banned sports betting here uh, in 1992 outside of Nevada, um, there had been a vast and growing underground of betting with offshore bookmakers online, um, essentially a black market that had reached hundreds of billions of dollars here in the United States. And I think what people had concluded was that you're really not going to stop people from betting on sports. You're better off bringing it into the sunlight, regulating it, taxing it, monitoring it, and dealing with it properly rather than pretending that it's going to go away. So two years ago, uh, literally May 2018, the Supreme Court found that that 1992 law was unconstitutional. And that opened the door for states to make their decisions about whether to allow sports betting within their borders. And we have a long history in this country, whether it's horse racing or lotteries or bingo or anything like that, casinos, of course, um, of allowing states to make their decisions uh, about whether they want to allow different kinds of, of betting within each state. Um, and that poses some challenges, of course, and uh, a number of the sports leagues, uh, like the NFL, have said that it would be more logical and rational to have a single federal law and have Congress regulate sports betting. So you've got a um, single coherent system uh, with the same rules that apply all over the country. But we have a long tradition of the, in this country of allowing states to make their own decisions about gambling. Uh, and I think, at least at the moment, that's the direction we are going to be in for some time. And so each state has now, since the Supreme Court's decision two years ago, been deciding whether or not to open their states to sports betting. And already uh, about a third of the states have done so, and there are bills pending in many others. The challenge associated with this is that states adopt different rules. They have different views on things. Um, to give you a very uh, specific example, some states that have legalized sports betting only allow it at a physical location, say in a casino or at a racetrack, whereas others allow it on your phone, on your computer, um, you know, basically anywhere you are as long as you're within the state. And those, that's a big difference in terms of the impact on the market. So um, each state making its own rules creates challenges for the industry and for betting operators and so forth because they have to work with each state to make sure that they're complying with their own rules. And the result of that is going to be that the growth of the markets will be a little bit uneven uh, over the next three to five years as things uh, begin to mature. But over time, I think you'll see the markets begin to resemble each other and you'll have what's effectively a national market. But that will take some time. Bill, I don't think I've asked you this before, but uh, how is horse racing specifically betting on horse racing operating in this country and are there lessons there to be learned or practices to be copied i mean uh there are not tracks in every state but i i get a sense that you could probably place a bet in any state in this country is that true 
Well, not every state. So okay. most states um, have uh, legal horse racing, um, but not all do. Um, so, uh, in fact, in the state where I teach at Elon University uh, in North Carolina, uh, North Carolina does not have um, uh, racetracks and horse racing within um, the state. So while most states have approved horse racing for betting, um, that it's, it's not the case that all have. Um, not all states have, for example, authorized casinos. Virtually all, I think maybe 49, and it could be 50, have lotteries. Um, but, uh, you know, every state takes its own approach. Um, the one thing that has evolved over the past, you know, 15 to 20 years is that most states have authorized in one form or another casinos. As we talked about a minute ago, you know, almost all states have lotteries. Um, horse racing exists in most states. The result of that is that many states have established gaming commissions or gambling regulatory um, agencies, and that's allowed a lot of states that are beginning to move forward for sports betting to already have a structure in place and to be able to fit the new regulatory system for sports betting into that framework. So they're not starting from scratch effectively because they've had a regulatory body that has dealt with um, uh, awarding licenses, investigating um, entities that are applying for licenses, making sure that the rules are protecting the public, dealing with things like gambling addiction. So there is a framework in place in many states, a good part of it due to horse racing, casinos, lotteries, and otherwise, that allow the states not to be starting from scratch, but to fit that sports betting approach into the existing framework. Interesting. So let's move forward to the uh, technology. And if I'm a soccer fan listening to this podcast on Inside Soccer, uh, what I care about is how am I going to be able to uh, bet on my favorite team or players or a combination of, of those? What's sort of available today that you're aware of? And, and generally speaking, where do you think we are in, in uh, the, the short term and the longer term? Technology will have a huge impact on this space, uh, and the principal way in which it will um, play out is that the vast majority of betting that will um, take place over time on sports events will be on your phone. And that's already occurring outside the United States, where people will literally sit in a, um, in a soccer a venue in Europe and watch the game in front of them and be betting on their phone as the game is unfolding. And that ties into another key part of what this market is going to be, which is that people historically in the United States, because this is um, not something that uh, the vast majority of people are that familiar with, think about betting as, you know, a line in a football game or betting ahead of a game who's going to win a boxing match or something. But in fact, the majority of betting that takes place outside the United States and will be the case here over time is on betting after the game starts. So in other words, as the game is going along and the odds are changing because someone scores a goal or there's a red card and a player gets sent off um, or the weather changes and that may affect the team, those odds are going to be changing as the game is going along and people will be able to bet in real time as the game is proceeding and they'll be able to bet on propositions so you'd be offered an opportunity to bet on whether there will be you know more or fewer than um, three corner kicks in the next 25 minutes 
you know, propositions like that. And all of that will take place in real time on your phone. So enabled by technology, enabled by a technology that allows live data to be delivered literally in milliseconds to bookmakers, to betting operators, who will then turn that into the odds that will be offered to, you know, a fan, a better, using their phone. The other sense in which technology will play a big role here in the U.S. is because we have this state-by-state -state rule, you have to have geofencing technology. So there are companies that work with the betting operators to make sure that if you're driving across a state line, either from a state that allows betting into one that doesn't or vice versa, it will recognize where you are and will either authorize you to start betting if you're driving across, let's say, the George Washington Bridge from New York into, into New Jersey, where New Jersey does allow mobile betting, New York does not yet, and you'll then, as soon as you get to the New Jersey side, assuming you have an account, be able to access that account and place a bet. And so, you know, if you're a, um, an MLS fan and you want to bet on, um, you know, NYCFC, you can't do it yet within the New York um, region, but you can drive across the bridge, and as soon as you get to New Jersey, again, assuming you have an account with a New Jersey betting operator, you can place that bet, and that geofencing technology will be very important, um, you know, at least over the next few years until we end up with some form of interstate compacts or something that uh, deals with the problem of each state having their own rules. And Bill, what's the latest update? And, and uh, you know, I've promised the listeners of this podcast we dive a little bit deeper into issues and maybe uh, other people will. Uh, and there's one, I, I, it's a basket of issues, but it's really the same issue that to me seems like uh, a tremendous challenge for, for sports leagues especially, but also broadcasters and, and ultimately the gaming industry as well. And, and that's how, how this pie is going to be divided up. So, you know, someone has to pay for those additional broadcasts. Somebody has to pay for the additional broadcast. When I say additional broadcast, I mean the, 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 the betting line, if you will, or the betting broadcast that people are, are, uh, are, are placing bets on. Cause right now that's not the same as what you're watching on TV. If you're, in a foreign country, my understanding is uh, you're on a screen, but you're getting another screen in that that's showing the action so that they can eliminate the latency and there's no chance of, of uh, seeing things in the stadium more than, as you said, uh, milliseconds before someone's sitting at home. So someone has to pay for that right now. Someone has to pay for the app development and the phones. Um I'm sure there's not a league here that doesn't believe, you know, they're, they're owed some sort of rights fee. I mean, that's just they're thinking about everything in the world. Uh, we put this game on, so you should pay us for it. And then you have a, a gambling industry that historically has never done that before, at least in this country, as far as I know. So what's happening uh, with uh, the carving of the pies, how I'll put it? Well, I think it's a very good question because a lot of this is still being sorted out. But in, the, in terms of the basic um, uh, issues at the, at the core of what you're asking, one thing that has developed over time is that there's a very sophisticated global industry around betting. It's relatively new, of course, here in the U.S., but it has been developed you know, over decades around the world. And so a lot of the issues that you're um, alluding to are now addressed by very um, uh, mature and 
sizable betting operators who have systems for making sure that data is delivered reliably and very, very quickly from a venue, whether it's a tennis match or a golf tournament or a soccer game, you know, to a um, facility where it's then turned around, converted into odds, delivered to people in real time so that that kind of latency issue where people are um, able to make sure that their bets are safe and reliable, that really has been um, addressed by the growth development of a very sophisticated market globally. And so, you know, a lot of those issues have been um, resolved over the past, you know, 10 to 20 years. The issue of um, how in the, in the UN, in, I'm sorry, in the United States, the leagues interact with the betting operators um, and that whole market grows here. A lot of those issues are being worked out. The one thing, though, that everybody is cognizant of is that this will be a very powerful opportunity for all concerned. So engagement with a game, people watching more games, people watching longer, that is an established fact. I mean, there's a ton of research that's been done that shows that when betting is permitted, people watch more games and people watch longer. And of course, you will have sponsors and advertisers, much as we saw a couple of years ago with Daily Fantasy when DraftKings and FanDuel had ads all over television. This is going to be a, a new category for sports leagues to be able to work with and to drive revenue from new sponsors and new advertisers. They're going to have more people watching longer for their events. All of that is you know, a major um, increase and opportunity in revenue for them. Now, whether the leagues um, actually have revenue directly from betting, that hasn't been you know, fully decided yet. A lot of states are debating that. Um, no state has actually um, agreed that the league should have a percentage of betting, but that's been the betting operator's domain. Um, there are states that have said that official data from the leagues should be required for in-play betting. Again, not all states have said that, but some have. So a couple of these issues are still being worked out, but I think the larger picture is what people should focus on, which is this is going to be a major boost in an entirely new revenue opportunity and category. It's going to increase engagement by fans. It's going to increase viewer audiences and longer time watching. And all of that is going to be a very big benefit economically to the sports industry. Yeah, I agree. It's, uh, it is a massive wave that's coming and it's going to change things and there's going to be some uh, growing pains as always and some interesting uh, developments, I'm sure. But at the end of the day, in uh, a few years from now, uh, I imagine everyone will be sitting around uh, with their phone doing things uh, other than watching the game. They'll be, they'll be wagering while the game's going on. So uh, I'm ready for the collective groan here, and this will also show just how ignorant I am to this situation. I don't normally bet on sports. Actually, I don't bet on sports. Um, but can I go online and place a bet now, either across state lines or from an offshore betting company or from something in England? I mean, it doesn't seem like there's regulation on where I'm paying taxes if I purchase something. So can somebody actually stop me from doing that? And I know you said that there's geofencing, but you were talking about here in the U.S. and something to come. Is it, does it exist now, and does it exist in foreign countries? So there is a 
big offshore betting operation that has been serving the U.S. market for, you know, 25 years, I mean, and, and longer. Um, and uh, that's one of the reasons that people began to realize that it would be better to bring it out of the darkness into the sunlight and legalize it. Because many people were betting with offshore bookmakers, you know, that are um, located in the Caribbean or in Latin America or elsewhere. And they provide websites where people can bet from the United States. Now, it's not legal. That's an, that's an unlawful environment and ecosystem. Um, and if you're betting, you are taking some risk that uh, something could get shut down or you could not be able to get your money. But um, it grew and flourished much like during Prohibition. You had plenty of opportunity to find alcohol. People wanted to bet, and this was an um, unlawful way of serving that market. And it hasn't disappeared. And in fact, some states that have passed their legal sports betting laws with very high tax rates, they're making it harder to make sure that you know everything is being driven above board and to the legal markets. Um, so these, these um, websites still exist, um, but over time, if the legal sports betting environment in the United States is done properly, everything should shift to legal. People will prefer to do things legally if they have that choice. But that market grew and that opportunity grew because um, there was a demand for it. And as we know, if there's a big demand, somebody's going to figure out a way to meet it. The people who operate legally, so for example, Bill, you referenced the um, British betting operators, which is, again, a very mature, sophisticated market. If you go on their sites, you can see the bets that are offered, and it shows people the vast volume of games around the world that are being offered, but you would not be able to access it from here. They would block you because they are operating legally and in a regulated way and will not take bets from jurisdictions where it's not been approved. Interesting. So, uh, with a bit of sarcasm, in in, in 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 ten years, when the next version of COVID comes, uh, they will not shut down sports leagues because they'll need that revenue. Um, I had to explain to my children why liquor stores, gas stations, and lotteries still operated when everything else was shut down, and and how did that link to supermarkets? And I said they got to keep us alive so we can keep spending the other money <laughs> and paying taxes. Uh, so once they're generating billions of dollars from uh, sporting events, uh, we will continue one way or another for sure. Um, it's interesting. So going back to soccer, um, MLS in this country, the U.S. Uh, men's and women's national teams, all very popular. Uh, the women around the world for sure. The men, uh, I would say, around the world as well. Uh, what challenges do you think they have, if any, that are outside of uh, what you're seeing or unique to soccer, or, or maybe there aren't any? I don't know. Well, I think um, they have a tremendous opportunity. I mean, there are always challenges in any new thing, and, of course, um, betting is not without them. But I think, really, the vast um, focus is going to be on the opportunity which is to um, be able to move toward the sports betting uh, markets in a, uh, in a kind of um, thoughtful and logical way. And that will allow people over time 
to be increasingly engaged with games. I mean, obviously, the MLS has an enormous following. The U.S. men's and women's national teams have enormous followings, even without betting. But this will simply be another layer where people will have that opportunity. And from what I've seen from U.S. soccer and MLS, people I've spoken to, they are enthusiastic about the opportunity. They're looking at it thoughtfully and carefully to make sure that um, they're taking the right steps to protect the integrity of the sport, so to um, provide education about whatever risks there might be around, um, you know, corruption or match fixing, which we have to, you know, address. I mean, like with anything, there are always risks, and those are risks in betting, but there are uh, very um, intensive ways of addressing it, monitoring matches, providing education, and those organizing authorities from everything I've seen are taking all the responsible steps to deal with that. Uh, and um, the upside is really enormous financial opportunity and also to give their fans the chance to bet on their games. And as we've said from the outset, I mean, this is something a lot of people like to do. I mean, people bet on soccer all over the world. And one of the opportunities MLS particularly has is because their season runs through um, the summer when uh, European soccer leagues take their break. Um, that presents uh, particularly a major opportunity for betting on MLS games around the world when um, you know those are going to be uh, among the leading um, offerings by betting operators, uh, particularly when European soccer is not available. So I think it's a great opportunity for MLS and for um, the men's and women's national teams in terms of the economic chance. It's a great thing for their fans because they'll enjoy doing it. And from everything I've seen, they're taking the right steps to uh, prepare themselves properly to take advantage of it. Those are very good points. Um, you're listening to Inside Soccer. We've been fortunate to have Bill Squadron on with us. He is the special counsel for Genius Sports and also an assistant professor at Elon College in North Carolina and finds himself in the middle of this explosion of, of sports gambling and gaming. Bill, we appreciate you being here today. Uh, one final question we've asked all of our uh, guests to date is uh, is there any tales from the past that you can share with us I, I know I know you're a lawyer and I know you're involved in some very serious stuff here but uh, is there anything our fans would find uh, interesting or unique or shake their head at and just say I can't believe that actually happened um, well I you know I have to say that um, I think I what um, people don't fully appreciate is the scale of what's to come. Um, so I'm not sure this fits into, uh, you know, I can't believe it did this. I mean, I guess if I were to tell you that, I would say that the thing that people are most surprised about about me is that when I was growing up in New York, I used to hang out at horse race tracks all the time. So I guess I come by this gambling gene naturally because uh, I really, and I still like it today. Every time I have a chance to have a free afternoon, I'll go to a racetrack and uh, I really enjoy uh, both thoroughbred and harness racing. And that people are usually surprised to hear that about me, but uh, that's always been in my blood. Um, but the one thing I would say to people more broadly is that this is a major tidal wave that's coming. I mean, this will be a huge impact on the sports industry. People five years from now will take as naturally in the United States, you know, on their phone, on their laptop, on their tablet, while they're watching a game, you know, casually betting five, 10, 20, 50, $100 on the outcome or on a particular proposition. Will Steph Curry 
score more or less than 10 points in the last six minutes of the third quarter. And that's what's coming. We only need to look at New Jersey and Pennsylvania um, that before coronavirus shut everything down had between the two of them roughly a billion dollars in money bet. Um, both those states have authorized mobile betting and um, the markets were really beginning to take off even you know, in these early stages. So this is going to be a major part of the U.S. sports ecosystem uh, going forward. And if it's handled properly and responsibly, as you know, my sense is everyone is um, really doing that, uh, I think it can be a great boost and a real opportunity for fans who have shown over the decades, if not centuries, they like to bet on sports. Excellent, Bill. Great way to wrap it up. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on. I think the fans and listeners of Inside Soccer uh, have just uh, experienced something that they won't find anywhere else. And uh, we'll leave here with a much better understanding of not only the landscape today, but where we're headed in the future and the opportunities. And if that's their, uh, if that's their cup of tea, as they say, then uh, they're going to be ahead of the game a little bit and know what to expect. So, uh, we appreciate your time and taking it out for us and our, our people, and uh, hopefully we can get you back on in the future and get some updates uh, as, this, as this issue continues to grow and, and expand. So thank you very much, and uh, enjoy your day. Thanks, Bill. Happy to join you.